0: Jesus has been teaching his disciples in private about greatness, inclusiveness, abuse, and forgiveness. This has all been in comfortable territory in Galilee, but now Jesus is taking his followers to Judea. The crowds are back, and with them, those who would kill him to protect their own authority. Welcome to Anakinosis, where we renew our minds towards biblical worldview and the scriptures. This is a show for anyone looking to build or repair their biblical worldview. Whether you're 100% comfortable in the current Christian culture, or you feel like an outsider looking in, everyone is welcome. My name is Jeremy Egan. I'm just a guy with a Bible literacy background who has ASD, and who thinks a lot about how to think. Today, Jesus answers the question about divorce. We begin our official authorized story in Matthew 19, verses 1 to 9. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. A large crowd followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. This is another case of there being so much interesting material here, and yet many Christians I've been around most of my life take this in bizarre directions. I've seen it used to say that we should ignore or tolerate everything in marriage except affairs, including abuse. I've seen it used to be Jesus's interpretation of Genesis and establish a clear cut case of there being only two genders. And I've seen this used to be Jesus's words against homosexual marriage. Friends, none of that is here. What is here is a trap question from a Pharisee to see if Jesus would contradict the law of Moses or how it was being interpreted on this issue. Can a man divorce his wife for any reason? That's what this is about. The Jewish rabbis had understood divorce as a sad event, but one that a man could initiate if he needed to. Well, what about a wife? Only in the case where she had enough wealth did she have enough power to choose divorce. Now, women were protected mildly by the Jewish understanding of the law, as men were forced to grant their wife a divorce if they physically abused them. So can we use this passage to say that Jesus only gave one reason for divorce? No. We have to come to the reading with the understanding that abuse was already law. Jesus had no need to list it. How can we hear his words in the passages on abuse in Matthew's authorized account and think Jesus would have women stay in abuse? That is an interpretation of an abuse protecting system. I'm sure everyone has heard this by now, but at the time of Jesus, there were two leading interpretations of the law of Moses. There were those who followed the interpretation or yoke of Shammai, and then there were those who followed the interpretation or yoke of Hillel. In Jesus' day, there would have been far more Shammai followers, and that would be true until about 70 AD at the fall of Jerusalem. At that point, there was a major shift. All this to say... If the majority of the religious Jews were following Shammai's yoke, then his view of divorce was mainstream. The main text to interpret was Deuteronomy 24. Suppose a man enters into marriage with a woman, but she does not please him because he finds something objectionable about her. So he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house and goes off to become another man's wife. That's Moses on divorce. Shammai had interpreted Deuteronomy 24 as the wife's objectionable behavior being marital unfaithfulness. And this was the majority view. And this is what Jesus is affirming. Hillel, on the other other hand, interpreted the something objectionable as anything the husband didn't like. And so there were no bad reasons for divorce. Jesus not only opts not to support this known position, but he says that if a man were to do that, to follow Hillel's interpretation, divorce a woman for no good reason, and then marry another woman, he would consider that adultery. This is heavy. Thus, when asked if a man can divorce a woman, Jesus says, yes, but not for any reason, but if she is found unfaithful. And it doesn't need to be said because it's also being followed. So I'm just going to assume it if she is abused. For unfaithful, Jesus uses the word porneia, which is usually saved for cult prostitution rather than general unfaithfulness. But that option still stands. So before that pretty straight answer, Jesus asked them if they're familiar with Genesis. Yes, of course they are, but he wonders if they noticed that even though human beings have done weird things with marriage, when I say weird, I mean different. Different than the male and female example given for marriage in Genesis. That as far as the history of man goes, is something that was riffed off of rather than held to Solely. So that's what I mean by weird. And we've done weird things with divorce as well. And many of those are recorded in Holy Scripture. In the beginning, God ordained it one way and with no divorce. What weird ways was marriage being recorded in the Bible? Well, we have man, his wife, and his concubines. That's quite a popular setup. We have man, his wife, and her own servants. That happened a time or two. We have soldiers claiming POWs as wives. We have the uh, popular man, his wife, his wife, his wife, his wife, and his wife. That was common for the wealthy and the royal. Other things not recorded in scripture were happening too. In the Roman Empire, you had two main heterosexual marriages, one where the wife had rights and the other where they didn't. You had very few polygamous marriages, but you had more than you would ever expect that were in heterosexual marriages, but the men would have gay sex with boys and young men on the side of their marriage to demonstrate their dominance and satisfy their extra pleasures, and it was not considered an affair. Same-sex marriages also are recorded in Roman history, two of the emperors themselves. Augustus was so flabbergasted by the declining births in his empire that he made a speech blaming rising homosexuality and abortions for that decline. Apparently, two hot topics of today were hot topics even in the Roman Empire. And Jesus, checking my notes here, Didn't say anything about them. Not really a culture war kind of guy. What about unfaithful wives? Augustus returned the Romans to the false morality of putting adulterers to death. Marriage and divorce had gotten weird. Why? Humans be humans. And we're messy and we like to try new things and we're born with different brain chemistries and different attractions. And we make decisions based on all sorts of combinations. And Jesus reminds everyone that in the beginning, this was not so. In the beginning, the first marriage was one male and one female. Now, what's significant about that? Is that anti-gay sentiment? No. Because homosexuality is not part of the question he's being posed. So it's not going to be part of his answer. Can a man divorce his wife for any reason? What a beautiful union God created, but you seek to end it. They catch this. And this is why they ask why Moses allowed for divorce. If it's ending something that God designed as good. And Jesus says it's because hearts were hard. They were set. They were set on not following God. They were eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil instead of the tree of life. So fine. God lets them be apart from him. Jesus follows this with, so if you are going to break something God made, let it be for what has been established, marital unfaithfulness and abuse. I don't think Jesus means to say at first sight of unfaithfulness or abuse, spring to divorce. But when suffering and trauma is impacting people, he loves peace for his children. Whether you remain together or you separate, forgive. Now the disciples are alarmed at this, and you know, some of them being married. So we continue in Matthew nineteen ten through 12. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. What's that, Jesus? Jesus? Singleness is a legit choice. Singleness is a gift that some people choose. He doesn't say that many single people won't hate it. He's saying that some single people will find it fulfilling and even choose it. So let's make singleness okay in the church. That starts by supporting um, singles with something other than singles groups that are really just disguised dating circles. And how about we stop being weirded out by the idea of a single minister? So why do I think Jesus isn't anti-gay or anti-transgender? Well, part of my thinking is what he says here about eunuchs. Some eunuchs were castrated by men, usually so that they could care for the king's harem without the temptation to have sex. Some had castrated themselves for the sake of service to the kingdom of God, but some were born eunuchs, that is, without a male or female designation. This opens the door for spectrums of gender and sex. Now, gender and sex are different things. One is the identity you live in, and one is your organs. Sometimes those match, sometimes they don't, and there's a spectrum in the middle. Jesus makes room for the existence of bigender, bisexual, agender, asexual, transgender, non-binary, genderqueer, transsexual, pansexual, homosexual, etc. by making room for born eunuchs. A people group that were despised in Jewish culture, by the way. Jesus says they're good too. Now in this passage, he's indicating that people born with traits that do not match Edenic marriage can embrace singleness, but he doesn't openly forbid other avenues here. Side B, homosexual Christians will say that singleness is the only biblical ethic that's clear, and so that's what they choose. Other homosexual Christians Will embrace a gay affirming theology and live in the unspoken with full permissions. And I understand the tension here. Jesus doesn't ban anything, and he also doesn't give any permission. Jesus is saying there are other ways to live than heterosexual marriage, and that at least includes singleness. I do not believe Jesus is erasing anyone when he mentions the male and female in Genesis. There's only day and night mentioned in Genesis, but we know that there are lots of other times of day in between. And there's only mention of water creatures and land animals, but we know that there are amphibians. There is room in the narrative for spectrums. Everyone is created in God's image and everyone is loved by God, no matter how they have been made. All of this from a question about heterosexual divorce. Now, to point out something painful, remember the plank in your own eye thing that Jesus mentioned at the Sermon on the Mount? How many people out there are pointing fingers at the love spectrum folks have had unbiblical divorces themselves? How many people pointing fingers have pornography issues? I would like to introduce us to ourselves. Let's focus on that. As my friend puts it, we're far better at confessing other people's sin. So at this, the crowds swamp Jesus. And there are some families there that wish to have their children blessed by Jesus. Verses 13 to 15. Then children were brought to him that he may lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Now laying on hands was something they customarily did during prayer, and so they're asking Jesus if he will pray for their babies. Absolutely, the kingdom is for babies, the kingdom is for children. In little children you find authenticity, And you find strong faith. He prays with them and then he leaves. On to the next. As we continue to build our biblical worldview, we want to think about what in our minds needs renewed. Broadly, Jesus loves everyone and made beautiful things for us like marriage that were meant to be blessings for a lifetime. That we could live in together in the light and the trust of God. Divorce is breaking Eden, but it's really just affirming that Eden's already lost. Trauma and suffering have set in its place. Trust has been broken. Forgiveness can happen, but it doesn't make everything okay. God forgave sin before the cross, and that didn't make our distrust okay. We weren't good enough to pull off a victory with our new clean slates. We kept eating from the wrong dang tree on repeat. We need Jesus. In relationships with others, we hurt one another repeatedly. And Jesus makes forgiveness possible, but sometimes relationships in this world ain't going to happen again. Yet in the new earth, Eden come home. Even those relationships can be made new. Jesus also validated singleness as an alternative to heterosexual marriage. And made it clear that people can be born in a spectrum between male and female. Also, Jesus says the kingdom is for kids. What opportunity do you have to enjoy Jesus like a kid? Could you free yourself to play 20 questions, rock, paper, scissors, or tag with Jesus today? Would he play back? What would that even look like? Thank you for listening. Anakinosis is a project for anyone anywhere who's looking to renew their biblical worldview. Next time, Jesus will give an unsatisfying answer to a rich young man.